So we've been going through a series on the prophets for the last few months, in particular what are called the minor prophets. And they're not called minor because they're less important, they're called minor because they wrote less. Uh, not like the major prophets who wrote very lengthy books. Aren't you, aren't you uh, thankful we're going through the shorter ones for you? But uh, today we're going to be taking a break from that, but we still are talking about the words of a prophet. In the Old Testament, a man named David is famous for being a poet and a king. He's often known for being those things. However, seldom do people think of him for what he is also as a prophet, because he taught and he spoke the word of God. Uh, A prophet in the Bible is somebody who calls people back to God and his covenant with them. It's not how we think of a prophet today with a guy like Vance. Look at that big beard on Vance, all right? We think of a dude like that rubbing some crystal ball and telling you what's going to happen in the coming week, okay? That is not a prophet. Uh, Prophets do indeed tell the future sometimes in the books, but more often than not, they are calling people back to a right relationship with God. They are seeking to reestablish relationship with God. That's the intention of a prophet. So, Pastor Paul, in the last couple weeks, has been going through this, and he's been talking about what it means to repent. And you remember his pacing back and forth illustration where he he says, you're going this way, and you do what? what, Does anybody remember the Hebrew word, no cheating, Pastor Ben? Shuv, right, to turn. Okay, so today I want to continue in that vein, and I want to talk about what it means to not just turn to Jesus, but to stay repentant with Jesus. How does one continue with God after they start with God? Because I find after I've been in the church the short amount of time that I have that there are a lot of Christians who do this and stop right here. And they just seem content to look at Jesus from a distance. But there is no consistent walk with God. There is no consistent repentance. And they seem truncated and stopped at the very beginning of their journey. So today what I would like to do is talk about how do you stay repentant with God? How do do you know what God approves of? How do you walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? And to do that, we're going to study the words of David and see what this prominent Old Testament figure has to say about the subject in Psalm 19. So we're going to be in Psalm 19 today. It's page 504 in the Pew Bibles in the racks in front of you if you didn't bring your own or you can follow along on your phone if you have an app there. It's page 504 in the Pew Bibles. The Psalms are prayer songs. They're literally prayers put to music. Uh, it's what we did this morning as we're singing, as, we're, as we were singing, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Light that fire again, Lord. Bring me back to my first love. These are prayers in the form of songs. And this is the Bible's prayer book. That is what we're reading this morning. And this is one of my long-standing favorite passages of Scripture. It's, it's a Scripture that I often come back to when I'm struggling against sin or I feel that God wants to change something in my life. These are the words that I will often return to and ask God to help me by quoting these words back to God. The Lord has given my spirit rest and peace and guidance many times through this short and simple prayer. So let's read it together. Psalm 19, we're going to be starting in verse 7. Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So, Father, that is our prayer this morning. That we would not be found acceptable in the world's sight or even justified in our own sights, Lord. But that we would be found acceptable in your sight. That our words, our thoughts, and our actions would be acceptable and pleasing to you. That you would find a people for yourself, pure, spotless, and blameless here at your coming. It's in Christ's powerful name that we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. When I was in my sophomore year of high school, I was in my first year of advanced placement English. I've always been really good at language. I've, I've, I've loved English as long as I can remember. I've loved how stories are created and how all of these things. It's always been an area of passionate study for me. So I was always involved in the class debates. I know it's hard for you to imagine that I like to talk. But I was in these class debates very often. It's very lively and, you know, uh, vigorous. And we'd often, you know, jostle with one another a little bit. And I can remember one day in class, uh, one day in particular, uh, we were debating on how to make your argument more credible by quoting a more prestigious author. I mean, you do this all the time. For example, if I were to make a claim here in this sermon and I quoted a Harvard professor to back up what I'm saying, you would be likely to consider what I'm saying more credible, right? So we were having this debate about how to quote former literary geniuses like Mark Twain or F. Scott Fitzgerald and so on, all the people you read in high school. And we're debating about this, like how to quote them properly. And I raise my hand, professor calls on me. And I say, well, who says these people are credible? They're only, they're only authorities because other people say so. I think I could write better by ignoring what they do. And he laughs, he smiles, points at me and says, exactly. So I sat back in smug satisfaction and let everyone bask in my cleverness for the moment. But if I could think of a moment in my life that represents this day and age, it would be that. That is the culture that we live in. A society that says, I know better. No one can tell me what I ought to do or who I ought to be. We're taught from a young age to assert ourselves, to not let anyone tell us who we are, to be true to ourselves and above all else, to never bend or compromise who we are for anyone. We define right and wrong and no one else. We're told to be self-actualizing, to say, this is me, no matter the cost to others. A lot of you just thought of that song from The Greatest Showman. I know, it's a good song, right? The mantra of our age has shifted. Instead of looking to the sky and saying, your will be done, we look in the mirror and say the same. Today, it sounds like I define my own truth. In the 1960s and 70s, it sounded like don't trust anyone over 30 and shortly before David's era, it sounded like in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 21, 25. In truth, the beat of the drum that drives the heart of man has always sounded the same. It says, my way or no way. 
We spoke much about repentance and change in the preceding weeks, but my question for you today is once you repent, how do you know what God approves of? How do you stay in repentance? How do you walk in it? And some so-called Christians walking among us, among the American church, and even in this church today, would say that this question doesn't matter, that only stuck-up, prude, and narrow-minded people are caught up on the subject of holiness. And to them I would quote the Apostle Paul, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, 2 Timothy 2, 19. But primarily I'm addressing those of you today who would seek to walk with the Lord. Those of you who want to run with the Lord and mount up on wings like eagles. Those of you who are concerned with the, the content of your life. And if you have no desire to change and follow the Lord Jesus, then you miss the entirety of what Christianity is about. How do you know what God approves of? Let's take a look at verse 7 in David's prayer to find out. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. David is praying and reminding himself that God's law brings new life to his soul and gives him wisdom. This is a common concept all throughout Scripture. Psalm 107.20 says that when we sin and repent, God sends out his word and heals us. Ezekiel 37.3-6 says, When Ezekiel saw the valley of dry bones, dead people everywhere, God says, Speak out my word and watch them live. And they lived. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, is devoted exclusively to God's word and his law. And in it, it says things like verse 10, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 145, which says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is constantly seen as giving us wisdom and guidance and helping us in this life and giving life to us. And God's word and his law, which by the way are synonymous terms for one another in the Old Testament, are constantly spoken, spoken of as giving direction and reorienting people's life towards God's will. Listening to what God says keeps you in repentance. In verse 7, David says it like this, it makes the simple wise. It gives you what you need to walk with God. And God's word does a whole lot more than that. It gives you life, it gives you joy, it gives you peace, it gives you hope, it gives you reassurance, and it gives you more. But at the very least, if you're not sure where to turn in life, it will give you guidance and direction. So be in it. Be in the word of God. Don't just assume God is somehow going to magically order your circumstances and that things are just all going to go smooth and gravy. If you've lived long enough, you know that's not true. You need the wherewithal and wisdom to stand up to tragedy and success when it comes your way. And the only way you get that is meditation on the Word of God. The prayer book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, opens with Psalm chapter 1. It says, blessed is the person who meditates on these words day and night. They're like a tree that doesn't wither when it gets dry. Its leaf doesn't fall but stays green. That's the person who meditates on the Word of God. That's consistent repentance. But God's word guides us. Have you ever felt like you completely lacked guidance? 
Like no matter how experienced you are or willing you are, you aren't sure what direction to take or what the right thing to do is in your situation. You're just confounded. Wisdom is far more important than just getting answers. Answers will give you resolutions, but they will not teach you how to live. Wisdom from God will teach you how to live. More often than not, I find that God is not willing to give me answers to my situations or my questions. He's willing to give me wisdom on how to navigate them. As many of you know, uh, my mother was suddenly hospitalized about two, two weeks ago. And uh, I got a phone call from her where it seemed like she was saying goodbye. Um, it was in my office. She called me and she said, Dylan, I'm so sorry. You know, my, my kidneys are failing. My liver is failing. I have no blood platelets practically left in my body. She said, I'm sorry I'll never get to see you get married or have kids. And she was in tears. And I said, Mom, it's going to be all right. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm coming, all right? And, you know, she seemed resigned to it, but that was the call I got. And I put my head down on my desk after the phone call and just began to weep. Because there are some things you just can't prepare yourself in your mid-20s for. Nobody tells you you'll have to consider ailing parents when you're 25. Pastor Paul and the staff came in and prayed for me and prayed for her, and they quoted John 11:4, the words of Jesus, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And I caught a flight that night to Arizona, where my parents live, and I was afraid, but I wasn't despairing. I knew that somehow God was going to be glorified in this. And I arrived in the ICU, and I felt like I was stepping into an episode of House. There were 11 doctors with three million different opinions, and nobody knew what was going on, and my mother's dying. One doctor, shortly before I arrived, uh, he said to her, things are not looking good, you should probably call your loved ones and have them fly home. And though he was right, he probably needs a retraining in bedside manners class, and it's very fortunate I never got to talk to him. The Lord was protecting my salvation by not allowing me to speak to him. But um, he was probably right. And she's, at one point, was asleep in the ICU, and I had a couple of hours. So I started to read the scriptures, and I, re I read this. Right now you're facing trials of many kinds, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, though it is tested by fire, is more precious than gold that perishes and may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.7. God's word comforted me. It reminded me that there are more important things than getting an answer from God about my mother. The most burning question in my heart at that moment was, Dylan, will you trust me regardless of the outcome here? And that's easy to say and harder to do. But that was the spirit Job had. He praised God when everything was taken from him. He praised God when he had everything. Whether good or bad, he was with God. Jesus said it like this. He who hears this word of mine and does it will be like a person who builds his house on the rock. The storm came and the rain fell, but that house did not fall. But the one who hears this word of mine and does not do it will be like the one who builds his house on the sand, the rain will come, the storm will come, and great will be the fall of that house, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. 
And the Lord also said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Matthew 4.4. 4. I didn't know the right thing to pray. I didn't know the right thing to say. I didn't know the right thing to do. Listen, I know I want to say I went in there like an evangelist and all the nurses got saved. But I talked to the nurses about Jesus and they're just like, whatever, you're crazy. We just want to treat your mother and get out of here. Nothing happened and nothing felt right. But God gave me wisdom and beckoned me to stay near to him in prayer and trust him with my mother's life. And the doctors still don't know what went wrong. Some think an autoimmune disease. Some think it was an infection. Some say it was a bad reaction to medication. Nobody knows. All they know is that she reversed and is recovered. And I praise God for that. But my point, but my point is that what God wanted to teach me through it was far more important than the answer he wanted to give to the situation. So how do you stay repentant? How do you stay with Jesus and not just be a fair-weather Christian who does this on the weekends like it's a Catholic confessional? By leaning on God's word for guidance, not just answers. God wants to give you so much more than answers if you would just get off the hook of trying to figure out the black or white. The Lord will guide you through his word, but we've got to stop assuming we know the best way for ourselves and be in his word. You will inevitably, and by God's design, come to a place in life where you have no answer, where you're not sure where to turn or what to do, and you may be there today, God may not give you what you thought you wanted or needed, but will you still trust him? Will you seek him for what you, ne what you need? Because you can trust him. The Lord Jesus said himself in Matthew 7, 11, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask it of him? And David prays in verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous completely. And simple, God knows how to give you what is best. His rules and commandments are good. They're not evil. His heart is good. He's not looking to deprive you. He's looking to help you. How do you stay repentant? By not just leaning on God's word for guidance, but for satisfaction. You can trust that he's good and he knows what he's talking about. He's not lacking, he's not false, he's not just wise to guide your life, he's good to command certain things. For someone training to be a minister in college, I lacked foresight in an extraordinary way. All my North Point professors, this is, you can just go like this right now. Um, <laughs> I, I was in my first year at North Point, and at the time, I was interested in a young lady, and we had gone on a series of dates. This is how every misadventure begins. But as things were beginning to get a little more serious, uh, at, we'd been, you know, going out to dinners and such for a couple of weeks. Then all of a sudden, she would uh, suddenly get offended and upset over little things. And I'm sure all men feel that way. But uh, me being your typical love-struck 20-year-old, um, I would devise these grandiose, the most grandiose apologies that I could think of to win her back, you know? I was going to be so kind that I changed her heart. Yeah, right, but... Uh, 
I recall once I pulled out a very large and expensive bouquet of flowers and gave them to her. She grew very angry and proceeded to throw them on the ground. I was like, that was $65. (laughs) That's like my whole week's worth of pay as a college student. Let's let's be real. Uh, I ended up giving them to my best friend, though, and he's getting married in two months, so worked out great for him. Just don't let his fiance know. But uh, the whole time, I felt that still small voice of the Lord saying, Dylan, this isn't you. And I read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, there's a time and a season for everything. And the Spirit of God whispered to me, and this is not the time for that yet, Dylan. And I would read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 27, where it says, Do not seek a wife if you are unmarried, which I am convinced is the most ignored Bible verse by young men in the history of history. In other words... Don't be concerned about these things right now. Just seek my kingdom and obey my word, Dylan. You see, God wasn't trying to withhold pleasure or fulfillment from me. And that's what the culture would tell you. That the grass is greener on the other side. That the scripture's just for fanatics. That this whole faith thing is just meant to devise, divide you of, or deprive you of pleasure and somehow control you. God is not some cosmic killjoy. He wants you to have fullness of joy. But the problem comes in when we assume we know what will give us the most satisfaction in life. We become the masters. We define what's best for us. We know what's best for us. And the culture is rife with it today. And the church is rife with it today. It touches every area. Sexuality, money, power. I know what kind of sex I need to make me satisfied. I know what kind of power I need to make me satisfied. I know the kind of career and job I need to make me satisfied. And all the time rejecting the counsel and word of God. Because we assume God wants to take away our joy. And oftentimes when we repent and turn to the Lord, we think God will bless us with whatever makes us happy. But the truth is much better than that. David says the rules of the Lord are completely true and righteous. And the Lord Jesus himself says God knows how to give good things to those who will ask him. The problem comes along when we think we know what is good. Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Some of us think some sort of form or fashion of evil is going to satisfy us. We can just have that relationship. If I can just cheat a little bit on this financial thing and, and get, get my way and get what I really need. If I, can, if I can just have it my way and manipulate and lie a little bit, you know what? It's all going to turn out all right. Your wisdom will lead you to destruction, but God's wisdom and his word will lead you to blessing. Humanity rejects God's commandments and guidance in favor of our own desires, convinced we know better how to satisfy ourselves. And if we find ourselves praying, God, if you just give me this one thing, then I'll worship you, we have found the thing we truly worship. So how do you stay repentant? By leaning on God's word for guidance and satisfaction. People inflict a host of pains on themselves by neglecting this. God says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10, Chasing money and possessions will pierce you with many pangs. Therefore, be content with what you have. Trust God that it's enough. If the Lord says a certain sexual behavior will lead only to ruin, then trust him. Listen, he created every human appetite. He knows what's best for it. Trust his word. 
And I promise you, you'll have more satisfaction than if you chase satisfaction. If the Lord says to you, through his word, to surrender control and to stop trying to manipulate the situation, trust that he can work it out better than you can orchestrate it and stop depending on your own wisdom and ability. If you think you know what's right for your life apart from the counsel of God's word, you don't yet understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus and a Christian. Proverbs 28, 26 in the old King James Version says, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? Don't follow your heart. Don't listen to Disney. They're terrible counselors. Follow the counsel of God's word and you will find satisfaction. God satisfies the repentant. He just doesn't guide them. Let's take a look at what uh, David prayed in verse 11. Moreover, by them, by your words, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now let me say this as a word of warning. Don't assume Christianity is a means of financial gain. Paul the Apostle warns against this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 5 and 6. He says, There is constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So when I say to you that living a repentant life is full of reward, what I am not saying is that God is going to heap laps of money into you, into your life. He's not necessarily going to reward you with something as cheap as money. However, I warn you lest you think that God is a way for you to achieve your material ends. This is what Peter warned against in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Forsaking the way that is right, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, who loved gain from wrongdoing. And if you're unfamiliar with Balaam, he was a, pro a magician in the Old Testament, prophet-like figure, who was hired to curse the nation of Israel. And he comes along and God tells him not to and turns the blessing into a curse, or I'm sorry, the curse into a blessing for Israel. But Balaam kept trying to do it in hopes that he would reap some financial or material benefit. And God rebukes him for it. Because if we suppose that God is a way for us to get material blessing, we haven't understood God. And we haven't understood the kind of rewards that he gives. I talk about this before I talk about God's blessing because in our day and age, there are a multitude of false preachers for you to listen to on every podcast, television station, and radio station that promise you if you just sow a seed that God's going to give you back ten times the amount of money. It doesn't always work that way. God blesses in a myriad of ways. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's not. But these preachers who do nothing for the kingdom of God, who pad their pockets, the Bible calls them shepherds who only feed themselves, this prosperity gospel is a false gospel, and those who preach it will fall into multitudes of needless pains and traps. Don't follow in their footsteps. And I believe this is the first part of David's prayer in this verse. By them, by God's word, is your servant warned. My hope as a pastor is that you would learn to be so discerning on your own by the word of God that my sermons would only supplement your faith and not supply it. 
that I pray along like Moses prayed, that all of God's people would be prophets, that you would hear from God for yourself and would know the word of God from yourself so that you could be discerning in the day and in the culture that we live in. Because you need to be able to distinguish right from wrong, good from evil, especially in our culture. And more than that, you need the wisdom to know when to speak, to keep silent, when to act, when to leave things alone. All sorts of direction, satisfaction, warning, and blessing you need are found in the guidance of God's word if you'll avail yourself of it. Jesus himself, what does he call himself in the book of John? The word of God. He is the embodiment of this written word. If you need guidance and wisdom, look no further than at the life of Jesus. See how when people tried to entrap him with questions and pin him as a certain way or in a certain camp, he knew the word of God. When Satan tried to entrap him and said, throw yourself down, Won't God, doesn't God care for you? Won't he catch you? He says, yes, but it is written, do not test the Lord your God. He knew God's word and he had discernment. And we must know it as well. Because our culture will try to fool you and entrap you in an overly political age that seeks to paint Christians as bigoted and hypocritical. You must know God's word, you must know what is good, and you must know how to employ it in your own life. The culture will try to tell you what proper sexuality is, don't make peace with it. And the world will try to tell you where health, wealth, and satisfaction can be found. Do not listen to them. They have a roadmap leading nowhere. And remember that James, the brother of Jesus, warned us. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James 4.4 4. And I take no delight in saying that. However, if I am here today to tell you how to stay in this walk with Jesus, how to stay repentant, then it is my duty to tell you that you will only get it by listening to God's word for your guidance, for your satisfaction, and yes, for your warning. God wants to rescue you from the power of this world. He wants to pull you out of this. And, and Pastor Paul said last week that if you turn to God, he's not a hateful God. He's going to speak to you gently and softly, but you must turn to him and listen to him. That's how you receive the guidance of the Holy Spirit, through the very thing the Spirit inspired. A lot of Pentecostals like to say to me, well, I have the Spirit of God. God tells me what to do. I, if it does not line up with what the Spirit inspired, then you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You're listening to a good twitch from the pizza you ate last night. This is what the Spirit inspired. Listen to it. Follow it. Know it. You must come to him for wisdom. And David prays at the end of this verse, in keeping them, there is great reward. Imagine for a moment that you're on your deathbed at the end of your life, and you're looking back and surveying it. What do you want your life to look like? What does a well-rewarded life look like? This week, I read in the news that uh, a billionaire, his daughter and six others, uh, died in a helicopter crash. And we ought to pray for their families. But I caught myself thinking, I wonder what the last thoughts of this billionaire were. I, I, I very much doubt that he was wishing for more money or more property or better annuity or any of these sorts of things. He wasn't thinking of his financial portfolio as it all went down in flames. He was 
He was probably concerned for his daughter. He was probably concerned for the people around him, for his family members, for the people that will miss him. He was concerned with the people that would impact him, I can almost say with a surety. Because I think the reward of a righteous life is not financial. Many saints of whom the Bible speaks says they, quote, went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Hebrews 11. I'm not saying that God's never going to reward you financially or help you financially. Of course he will. The scriptures are clear on that. But your obedience is not an immediate ticket to everything you wanted in life. Listen, he blessed me with $50,000 in a day to help pay off student debt. He can do it. Praise God, you should pray for it. But if that is the reason you are serving Jesus, then you've missed something. Because he doesn't bless in order just so you can be comfortable. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing. And finances are not the only, and they're not even the primary way that God rewards us. Imagine at the end of your life, on that deathbed, that your children love God. And they're not in love with the world and its destruction. Imagine at the end of your life that your friends know Jesus and your spouse knows Jesus because of the way you lived your life in obedience to the word of God. Imagine at the end of your life that you along with the Apostle Paul can stare death in the eye and say, oh death, where is your sting? And smile. Imagine that you can look back over your life without regret and with peace knowing that you were faithful to the Lord and to his word. That's the kind of legacy that I want to leave. And I hope my reward is a good legacy, not something as cheap and common as money. God will help you persevere like that. He warns you and he rewards the repentant. So how do you stay repentant? By leaning on God's word for guidance, for satisfaction, for warning, and yes, for reward. I'm going to call the worship team back at, at this time. My favorite type of music is big band jazz. I, just, I love jazz. I can't get enough of it. And uh, in my later teen years, a song that I would often like to sing was uh, Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. I know it was a very appropriate song for a Christian, but um, I, I've talked about him a little bit before, but the professor that I had in college uh, that I worked for, his name was Professor Ritchie. I mean, he's a paisan. He's from Rhode Island. He talks like this. You know, he's, he's just very Italian, okay? So one day, I'm kind of singing and humming uh, I Did It My Way as I'm going to his office. And he's like, Dylan, what are you singing? And I'm like, come on, it's a, like Frank's a classic, Brother Richie. What are you talking about? And he's like, what? listen to what you're saying. I did it my way? That sounds like the Bible, doesn't it? You know, and he's roasting me, and he goes on his usual, you know, Italian tirades, which he, he likes to do. And, you know. After he settled down, I was like, you know what? You're right. All right, I get it. I get it. Uh, Frank Sinatra is, uh, this wasn't exactly the pinnacle of Christianity. But to this day, I still like big band jazz. But uh, regardless... I think that's the tune of our hearts pretty often. I did it my way. And God's going to look at you and say, man. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And he said, there'll be two types of people at the judgment. Ones who bow their knee and look to the Lord and say, your will be done. And there will be another who the Lord looks at them in their unrepentant state and say, have it your way. never too late 
Listen to how David concludes his prayer. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion or control over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You want to know where to start in this walk of repentance? Don't seek to justify yourself or your behavior. Don't seek to validate it with the approval of the world and others. Because the world will not be judged one day. You will. God will look at your life. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It matters if if the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and the actions of my hands were acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Some of you have perhaps been listening to this in despairing. You thought, my life is too far gone. I can't reverse the choices I've made. Or how could anyone live a life as perfect as that? But I have hope for you this morning. Jesus said he doesn't heal the healthy, he heals the sick. Some of you, maybe you haven't even started to follow the Lord Jesus yet. Perhaps you've never even cracked a Bible, or maybe not in years, and you haven't prayed more than five minutes in a very long time. But you can pray along with the words of David and not be afraid. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, God, and he will begin to guide you. He will begin to show you how to walk in a repentant and humble way. And this prayer is one scripture that I pray very often when I've sinned or I feel like I'm stuck or I've made a mess of my life or I'm not sure where I can turn next. I often pray, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Don't let them have control over me, O God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God. May you search me and know me completely and say, I approve, I'm pleased. That's my prayer. Because God is powerful enough to do it in anybody. Listen, if he did it in me, he can do it in you. I was a kid from the middle of nowhere, New York. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I I didn't have the slightest clue. I had never cracked a Bible. And I called out to the living God and he showed me his word. And he pulled me up out of a pit and he set my feet on a rock. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. And he does it by the power of his word. So don't neglect it. Some of you know exactly what you're doing that isn't pleasing to God. I don't need to be a prophet to guess the things that God has been speaking to your conscience about. And the world might say, big deal, you're not hurting anyone, or if it feels good, do it. But for those of us called by the name of the Lord Jesus, it is our delight to please him and to keep ourselves from every stain and evil so that we may be a pure, stain-free, faultless bride at his coming. That's the message of Hosea, which we've been going through. And you might not even know where to begin in laying hold of this word. But we're here to help you. That's why this church is here. We want to help you do that. This Wednesday night, we begin a series on how to study the scriptures. Actually, Professor Hodge will be teaching it. Why don't you wave a hand, Professor Hodge? If you want to know how to study the scriptures, be here from 7 to 8. We will teach you how to. 
God, on the, whatever leg of this journey of faith you happen to be on, whether it's at the very start or you feel stuck somewhere along in the middle, God is willing to help you. His word can guide you, can satisfy you, can warn you, and even reward you beyond what you could ever think. As the scripture says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has it even entered into the imagination of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Stay with God in repentance and he will be your reward. You will have direct access to almighty God. And as the scripture says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the Lord's face is against the one who does evil. So walk in repentance. Ask him, he'll help you. He's not a hateful God. And I'll close with this. The other night I was standing in my apartment and I was looking around at everything and I was recalling where the Lord has brought me from. For this September, it will be a short eight years ago that the Lord rescued me. And as I sat in my apartment and looked around, I realized it's been hard. Yes, there have been trials. Yes, there have been things that have sought to knock me out of the race around every turn. Absolutely. But God has been so faithful. He's guided me. He's satisfied me with good. He's warned me away from evil. And he's rewarded me beyond what I could ask or ever think. And I just wept and thought of the faithfulness of God. And it, it wasn't because of my extraordinary skill. It's not because there's people who are good and bad at repentance. There are just people who are either willingly dependent on the word of God or those who choose to ignore it at their own peril. What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What kind of reward do you want to reap? What kind of guidance do you want to receive? What kind of satisfaction will you end up with? Because the world and its promises are empty and dead and cannot deliver. They are powerless. The Bible says that the wages of those things, meaning the payment, is death. It leads to absolute disappointment and destruction. But the words of God lead to life and life more abundantly. And that's the kind of legacy and guidance and satisfaction that I believe every person in this room can leave if, they, if you would walk with Jesus, if you'd keep in step with the Spirit, if you would keep your eyes in His Word and on Him. So I'm going to give you the chance to do that today. I'm going to ask, ask you to stand. And we're going to pray. For those of you who want, you're free to come and pray at this altar. Make a commitment to the Lord. And say, I'm going to seek you, Lord. I'm going to be in your Word because it's my life. For those of you who need to go and grab your children or leave, we understand, just please be respectful of those of this, in this sanctuary who are praying. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Father, we remember our first love. Even if we did it all right, God, we did church perfectly. do church perfectly without you here. So we pray that our eyes would be attentive to you, fixed on you. 
that your word would be in our heart that we would not sin against you that you would help us to walk uprightly and repentantly God that you would put in us a clean heart and you would renew in us a right spirit God that would seek after you in your word and in your ways and I pray in this room there would be legacies planted today that there would be love coming to life today that God you would create testaments to your grace and vessels for your kingdom because of people yielded to your word today. We ask this in the powerful name of Christ Jesus.